my Rebbe Reb Nichol Zichron Evracha, a message that we can take for ourselves. He mentioned that he was born in the city of Chemerovitz, which is Polish Russia. It was one of those cities that changed, depending on the ruler at the time, whether it was under the, under the authority of Russia or Poland. And in the city, there were two Rabbonim, two major Rabbonim at the time. One was <clears throat> his father, who was a Rav in the city. And the second one was another rabbi. And he said that they both conducted themselves in different manners. The other rabbi wore a long coat that went almost down to his ankles. And when he walked in the street, he walked slowly like, an, a, 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 like certain rabbis walk, an elderly rabbi walking slowly, calmly. He mentioned that his father, Reb Michal's father, also wore a long coat, but just a little bit below the knee. And when he walked in the street, you couldn't keep up with him. He was quick, you know, tremendous zrizis, tremendous youthfulness. And his father taught him when he was a child, when he was 10, 11 years old, he was teaching him Yoridea, the laws of Shechita, the laws of Kashrus. And he said his father showed, his father was in charge of the Shechtim in the city, the ones who slaughtered me. His father showed him how to do the Bedika of the lungs, to put his hand inside the lung to be able to check for sirchas and he scabs, things like that, at a young age. He mentioned that they were extremely, extremely poor. The, the place that they lived in had a dirt floor, no cement floor or anything, a dirt floor. And the walls of the house during the winter, there, there wasn't would be dripping, dripping with from wetness of the freezing cold. The, the, and he says, because of that, his mother contracted rheumatism, uh, uh, like a type, a severe type of arthritis. And, and he remembers seeing her in pain, tremendous pain from the bones, you know, experiencing tremendous pain as a result of this. And she ended, ended up passing away from this rheumatism. And he said that, that they were very, very poor. His father refused to accept anything. Any, there are some places where the shoichtim pay the rav, they give the rav a stipend in order to support him. He refused to accept any money from the shoichtim so that he shouldn't be affected in any way, that he should be able to remain 100% strict in, in the laws in supervising the shoichtim if they were doing the, the, a proper job or not. One time on Erev Yom Kippur, the, the, the family was having the Sudam Avsekes, what you eat before Yom Kippur, before the fast, and somebody came into the house unexpectedly to ask the Rav, a Shaila, to ask his father a question. And they saw that they were eating moldy bread. That's, they didn't have anything else to eat at the time. They were eating moldy bread to prepare for the fast of Yom Kippur. This person saw this, he was in shock, and he went back and told the, the heads, the leaders of the city at the time, this is what a Rav, this is what the Rav is eating, this is what he's living on. And from that point on, they insisted, they forced him to accept a certain stipend in order to be able to live. <clears throat> he mentioned that, that, that um, they, they were living under communist Russia, the communist revolution <clears throat> took place around 1917. <clears throat> and this was during the 1920s and 30s, early 30s. And when the Nazis came in, his father thought, can't be any worse than the Russians, can't be worse than the communists. 
So some of the people fled. Some of the people ran away when there was an opportunity to run away. His father thought that it'll be better. They'll be better under the Nazis than, than, than under the communists. Unfortunately, when Nazis came in, they showed more brutality, more hate towards Jews, even than the communists. And his father, they said, <clears throat> for you, we, we have something special because you're a rabbi. They had him dig his own grave and they buried him alive. That's how his father passed away. How Reb Michal came to Breslov when he was a, when he was a, a teenager, 14, 15 years old at that time, he was learning in a yeshiva in Kiev, an underground, this is during communist times, an underground yeshiva, meaning you weren't allowed to have any yeshivas. And he mentioned there were two yeshivas at that time in Kiev. There was a Labavitch yeshiva called Toim Chetmimim, and there was a Klal Hasidi, a general yeshiva for different types of Hasidim. His father was not Breslov, but he was a Hasidish Jew, and his father sent Reb Michal and his younger brother to this Klal Hasidi yeshiva. At one point, Reb Michal was thinking of coming home for a holiday, and his father sent him a letter and cut out an article from a newspaper, a local communist newspaper, where they wrote there in this newspaper, they wrote, how do we allow such a filthy, low life, a rabbi, <clears throat> and they mentioned his father by name, <clears throat> to walk on the soil of Mother Russia, on the soil of our motherland, our motherland, our fatherland. <clears throat> and his father sent him this article in order for him to, to consider whether to come home or not, whether it was safe to come home or not. He got the message and he decided instead he had heard about the Breslover Hasidim, he had heard about Uman, and he figured he'll go check it out, he'll go there. And he mentioned he traveled to the city of Uman at the time. And he came there, he asked the people there, where is Rabbi Nachman's kever? And they took him there, they showed him. And he mentioned that he had hishtatchus. Hishtatchus means when a person prostrates themselves completely over a kever, and he cried for three hours, crying and crying. He said, from when he was a child, he was a balbechi. It came easy for him to cry. <clears throat> and he was crying over his predicament and everything. And he said when he finished crying, he had a feeling that he just established a new home, a new home for himself, that this is going to be his new family and his new home. He ended up staying there. And sure enough, when he was 16 years old, Rabbi Avram Sternhartz saw him and saw, saw, obviously saw something very special in him. And he wrote a letter to his son, Rabbi Nassen Sternhartz, saying that a young man has come to Uman. <clears throat> they say he's a descendant of the Shpola Zayda. And he's a Yerei Shemaim. He's somebody of high quality. And I think this could be a very good shidduch for your daughter, my granddaughter, Rabbi Avram Sternhaz's granddaughter. Sure enough, he ended up marrying his granddaughter and went through a lot, this, a lot of, lot of suffering under the communists. He spent six years and seven months in Siberia but, but eventually, like, like in Echo, he said, eventually communism fell, Stalin died, and, and communism ended up falling. He came out of the Soviet Union, he came to Eretz Yisrael, he came to Yerushalayim, and took his position there among the elders of Breslov in the, in the main yeshiva and shul in Yerushalayim, and eventually ended up leading the koilo there and leading the shul, beautifying the shul in many different ways. 
and was zorichet to be buried on Harazesim. His yard site is Heyov, and I'm, I'm not, I'm, unfortunately, I'm not going to be in Eretz Yisrael, but I know that there's a, a bus being organized of people on Heyov to go to Harazesim to visit the kever of Reb Michal Zechron of there. He's buried in a chelka of Breslov, where there are many other Breslover rabbis that are buried there. Rav Rosenfeld, Rav Levi Yitzchak Bender, <coughs> Rav Shmuel Shapiro, it's a whole breast of a chelka there. And many of the people go on from there to Tzfas, to the Arizal, to the Ar- which is also on Hayov. We should be zorichet that all of the tzaddikim should join together to help us get out of this darkness, out of this golos, and to turn these nine days into, into days of celebration, to celebrate the Gaula Shlema with the coming of Moshiach, Ben Herod, Amen, Amen, Amen.